0: Is an emerging and troubling trend as it relates to Americans' trust in government. According to the Pew Research Center, it's at a historic low of only 20%, with more Americans feeling as if their elected officials are more interested in serving their own separate and Personal interests rather than representing them and doing the job they were elected to do. Matthew Dowling served as a state representative for the 51st Legislative District of Fayette and Somerset Counties in Pennsylvania. During his tenure, he focused on building communities where businesses, and people had a chance to thrive. He served for three terms, or six years, but Dowling readily admits that the pressure of the office got to him, and he eventually withdrew his name because, despite the fact that he knew he could win again, he just wasn't up. For another legislative fight. Make no mistake, he is immensely proud of the legislative accomplishments he was able to garner for the people of his district, but he does agree that the current political system could stand to endure an extreme makeover of epic proportions to get government working for people, once again. I sat down with Dowling to have a reflective conversation about his time in office, his accomplishments, the current state of government, and how it gets fixed in America to work for the people it's intended to serve. I'm Kevin McShann, let's have this conversation. take a moment to welcome you uh, to the uh, program, and I'm super excited that you are my first interview of the new year, year and I get to talk to you all about business and politics. Great right? uh, to be with you this morning, and thank so very much for being here.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Now, imagine I know that you served in, in the Pennsylvania legislature, and I know that you've got some interesting views on the state of American politics. So my first question this morning has to do with restoring civility in American politics, because when you look at it, it's kind of at a fractured state. So I'm wondering if you can tell me, what do you think it'll take to restore the civility of American politics?
1: Yeah, sure. And thank you for asking me that question. You know, that's something that's really uh, near and dear to my heart, the fact that um, there is no longer civility in politics. And I also want to be sure not to over-romanticize uh, the past, saying that there were these great times when people could debate. But in the the history of the United States, um, kind of in the formation you saw uh different political parties that were able to work together to accomplish goals and we also saw more political parties than we see today where we're really just uh we've become a two-party system the the base has become very polarized where um a lot of those people who are leading left have gone to the far left and we have extremists on the far right and Uh, The climate has become so polarized that it's hard to have conversations between those two factions, and therefore debating important issues doesn't really happen in the traditional sense. We automatically look at it as, uh, you know, that's the other side, they're wrong, I'm right, Uh, and we kind of go from there. What I would like to see happen is uh, civil debate restored and uh, by that, I mean, you know, the discussion of ideas and opportunities, we can disagree with each other., um, you know, the the basis is that we both know that there's a problem. Let's say, for example, the problems with education. We both say the education pro- problem is fractured or is broken. Um, one side thinks that we should fix it one way. The other side thinks we should fix it another way. For example, putting more money into education, maybe uh one side's view, and uh school choice maybe the other side's view. Um we can ha- have differing opinions, but still be humane to each other as the way we discuss and debate those. And really that's the reason why I started my my podcast commonalities to open up a venue where those conversations can take place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about your podcast. I know the The premise of the show is to have uncomfortable conversations about important issues. And, and, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast is I wanted to have conversations to move the needle of progress forward in a a whole whole variety of societal issues. So I know that's a big part of what you do through, through your podcast as well, isn't it?
1: it is it is and it, it, you know like i said this is a place where um you know kind of a sa- safe ground where people can come and they can debate the issues uh on some episodes we have the ying and the yang uh, both sides of the issue on other episodes we focus uh more on one side than the other but uh, i always say that you know if we have a, a right-leaning episode and someone has a left-leaning opinion Uh, I'm always happy to do an episode with the other side at a future date and time. Um, But we want to open up those conversations. Listen, you know, our tagline on the show is uh, politics, religion, and finances, everything your grandmother told you not to discuss with friends. And literally, growing up, my grandmother would say, don't bring up that issue. Uh, You don't want to make your friends uncomfortable. But if we can't discuss the hard issues with our friends and our neighbors and our colleagues, you know, how do we want to have this debate on a statewide or a national level? Uh, We have to be able to be a little bit uncomfortable to step outside of our shell, to listen to other people's point of views and to eloquently express our point of view. If we don't have the conversations, then nothing ever comes of uh, of the solution
0: yeah Matthew, one of one of the things that i always say is diversity of perspective is an asset isn't it
1: it is it is and, and you know the feedback that we get from others is a gift um and we have to approach it as such
0: absolutely now uh, Matthew, as you know they're they're uh uh they're holding a vote for a speaker of the house later this afternoon and you know uh we're entering a two-year cycle of divided government and i i i suspect one of the reasons we're doing that is that the american public is frustrated with the way uh american politics is currently working as we discussed so i'm fascinated to get your uh, thoughts on uh, the state of american politics as we enter a new congress and a divided government
1: you know, I wonder, and and I look both at the national level and uh, here at the state level in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, um, we have situations where uh, you know we ha- are going to have divided government. The numbers are going to be much closer in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania right now. We are at a statistical tie uh, in the Pennsylvania House between. Democrats and Republicans. We have three special elections that are going to play out. If I had a crystal ball, I would tell you that uh, those three House seats are going to end up with Democrats, and therefore, they will end up with the majority. But right now, uh, at a statistical tie, um, there's uh, there's a real question that I have, which is, is being this close, uh, if you're one member up or one member down, Um, Is it going to force people to work together more or are we going to see a polarized fractioned government that is unable to get anything done um, because there's no majority or supermajority that exists? And uh, I would hope that the fact that we have closer numbers, that we have to come to a closer consensus and that way we can get some work done. My fear is that because things are so n- close, and you don't have votes to, you know, to lose within your own party, that uh, it's going to make things extremely difficult uh, for either side to get anything accomplished.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you Uncle, offered the book Empowered in Pittsburgh, so uh, which is a self-help book for young professionals starting their career. And sort of navigating adulthood so tell me about the book and the new one that you're working on as well because I know you're a busy guy so tell me all about uh, this book and uh, the current one that you're working on as well
1: so empowered in Pittsburgh is a book that I uh helped to co-author there were a number of young professionals um and this goes back about 10 years so i was uh, i was still young at that point in time i hadn't aged quite this amount but the premise of the book is that a friend of mine tom baker who is a very accomplished public speaker and a, a politician as well um as a nonprofit executive tom was had just moved back to the pittsburgh area after college and he found a lot of his friends that were extremely active in college, they they ran clubs and organizations and student government. Now they had come into, drifted into adulthood, and they were going, um, you know, to happy hour every day to a bar and having several drinks and then going home. And they, they weren't becoming um, established members of their community. They were just kind of living up their early 20s. So, A number of young professionals like myself got together and we each wrote a chapter of the book Um, and there are kind of some breadcrumbs and advice for young professionals who are entering their career on how to get engaged in your community how to take control how to get a seat at the table Um, because you know if you don't establish yourself in your early 20s you can't be in a leadership role in your 30s and 40s and uh, that's the premise of the book empowered in pittsburgh it's been used Uh, by several universities uh, as a freshman uh, orientation type book, so that those young people get that message and uh, will hopefully uh, achieve some leadership role in the future. But uh, it was a pleasure working on that book. Um, The book that I'm working on now uh, is, you know, I, I fell from the mountain halfway up, Uh, Where do I go from here? And it's kind of a memoir of my time in public office. Um, I've been very open about the fact that uh, while I enjoyed being a public servant, a lot of the stress got to me. Uh, I unfortunately uh, exercised my stress relief in unhealthy ways. Uh, I began drinking and uh, eventually had a problem with addiction. And that's one of the reasons why I withdrew my name and I decided not to run for re-election uh, this fall. We had already gotten through the 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 uh, primary election. Um things looked good for me, but, you know, I wasn't just I wasn't the best version of myself. You know, so I fell from that mountain that uh, that I had been climbing. But now is the time to stop and assess and say, where do I go from here? So that book's going to be about life lessons, uh, avoiding addiction, and some of the personal stories that I have uh, of my time in public office.
0: Yeah, you know, sometimes, I'm glad you brought that up, Matthew, because sometimes, you know, people uh, that are like like public uh, officials don't realize that they are actual people with emotions and feelings and they, feel the pressure of of the, the office that they hold. So I'm curious, since you brought it up, when you look at public service, how important is it for you to find your inner center in terms of what you believe in, but also balancing your personal and professional life? How important do you think that is?
1: You know, I, I think it's extremely important. And, uh, you know, I, I want to say that... Uh, If you're a person that has the courage to put your name on a ballot and to allow your friends and neighbors to uh, elect or to not elect you, uh, I give you huge props. No matter if you are a Democrat, a Republican, or an Independent, regardless of party, um, I think there are good people out there that run for public office that just want to make their communities a little better than they found them. Um, The problem is that there is an immense amount of pressure um, with public office. And and I don't care if it's a township supervisor, if it's a mayor of a small city, if it's a state representative or state senator uh, like myself. You know, I had 68,000 uh, constituents. And at the same time, I had 68,000 bosses that I was trying to please. I couldn't go into a Home Depot or a Walmart without someone recognizing me and, and telling me what their problem or, or issue was on uh you know one side i absolutely love that and enjoyed that on the other side there's a time when you want to unplug and be with family and just go to the grocery store um you know i think public servants are at a huge disadvantage where they're not able ever, all the time to live uh their private life the way they want to because they're always on they're always in public and then there's the stress of the job where You know, I always told people we had to be a subject matter expert in absolutely everything because in the same day I could be voting on tax reform for small business, uh, education reform, and uh, in you know something completely different um, that was happening uh, like election reform, and so you had to be a subject matter expert in all three of those things. So there's a lot of stress with that. Um, as you're doing research and reading the bills, uh, you know you can blow that off and you could say it's not important. I'll just kind of go with the flow, follow the party line. Um, but at the end of the debate day, if you want to debate and you want to successfully voice the concerns of your constituents, you have to do some prep and some research in a multitude of areas. And uh, And so I think um, mental health is a huge concern for politicians. Also, election cycles are, are short. You know, I was on a two-year cycle. So by the time you got done uh, with one election, it was time to start running for the next election. And elections themselves have become uh, very polarizing. You know, I always use the example that there could be one vote, and that vote could be criminal justice reform. And I could vote yes on criminal justice reform. And the idea is that that individual has served their time and paid their debt to society. And we want to, uh, give them ways to re-engage within the community and become productive citizens, uh, instead of, you know, just receiving a government check and kind of being a drain on society. So that's the reason why we need to reform criminal justice. Um, so you can either say, I am uh, against those individuals and want them to live off of the the government dime, or you can say that I'm soft on crime. So it doesn't matter if I vote yes or no. You can make a negative out of any vote that I take. And we as politicians are have become very bad at that. We speak in sound bites and uh, and we use those negatives on mail pieces that uh, that we send out during election time. So all of that adds to the stress of being a public servant. And uh, so I give huge props and thanks to the people that put their names on the ballot and uh, allow the public to uh, to elect them to office and then successfully uh, serve their constituency.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Matthew, I'm going to share just a, little, a bit about myself. So I was born with of um, spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy. So that means that I don't have enough oxygen in my legs to walk normally. And I know that for you during your time serving your conti- constituents in uh, Pennsylvania, you're focused a lot on building inclusive communities and where communities and business can thrive. So I'm wondering your thoughts on inclusivity when it comes to politics. And if you can reflect upon your your time in office and really wanting to build communities and and businesses where everyone has a chance to thrive i'm I'm fascinated to get your answer there
1: you know i i think uh what you're you're getting at is uh is diversity in politics and uh listen there are still uh, a lot of old white men that are uh, politicians. And that's something that we need to change. But we are slowly seeing that where uh, we have people of of different ethnicities, minorities that are being elected to public office. We are seeing a huge rise uh, of women that are breaking the glass ceiling. So if there's one positive thing that's happening in politics right now, I believe it is uh, a diversification of the people that are elected to represent us and you have to remember in a representative republic those individuals need to speak for their entire community so you know if my community is made up of seven percent african americans uh you know even though i'm i am an adult white male I need to be able to speak for that 7% of the population, people with disabilities. I need to be able to speak for them. Um, We are very luckily, like I said, seeing uh, rapid diversification of the type of people who are running for office. But to fix that problem, we need to start um, talking with young people about the importance of public service and getting them um, who have a broad, diverse background, interested in politics and willing to uh, to serve and to put their name on that ballot, as I keep saying, um, when they get a little bit older. So we have to start with the youth of America uh, and get them interested. We don't just want one circle of individuals that come from the same background to continue to be engaged in the political discussion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That was actually my yeah, and that question and how we get more young people interested in politics under uh, the current political climate uh, what, what is that the keys are there in getting more young people interested in pursuing a career in politics
1: you know i think the first thing we have to do is we need to start having civil conversations and this goes back to uh, to my show commonalities um in public with people that we disagree with and uh you know i say that it needs to be civil we don't need to scream at each other we don't need to um you know exacerbate the far left and the far right like the media tends to do uh for ratings we need to just have civil conversations and not be afraid to talk politics and talk the big issues um and we need to start that at an even younger age I was involved in forensics and debate, excuse me, in high school. And I think, uh, you know, activities like that for young people can lead them to uh, to having important conversations, to developing their mindset and their personal beliefs. Um, and then, you know, I think that will encourage them to engage in the political process as they get a little bit older.
0: Yeah, and, you know, Matthew, one of the things that I wanted to go back to was sort of the the uh, state of federal politics for just a second because, as you know, Nancy Pelosi is stepping away uh, from her position of leadership to be back in Congress, and, of course, Kevin McCarthy is trying to scrounge together the votes to become Speaker of the House, and I'm wondering, goes on, so, on the legacy of Nancy Pelosi, the, the current state of the House of Representatives, and also violence in politics as well, because I know that's on the rise as well, and it's kind of concerning, isn't it?
1: It is. Um, you know, and, and we have seen everything from paid protesters that are knocking on doors at the federal level, even at the state level. Um, you know, a couple years ago, we had protesters that showed up at the Pennsylvania Capitol. Um, they caused some mischief there when they were arrested. It was found out that they weren't even Pennsylvania citizens. They were from around the country and they were being paid to be there uh, to protest. And sometimes those protests, you know, they're not the, um, the nonviolent sit-ins that existed in the 1960s and early 70s. These people uh, become agitated and aggravated, and uh, it makes it very difficult for politicians. We look back to the congressional baseball game a couple years ago where shots were fired and um, we had politicians that were hit. Um, you know, that becomes a larger and larger concern that there can be uh, violence against people who don't share the same beliefs uh, as you. And, uh, and that puts a lot of politicians at risk. So, you know, I guess that return to civility continues to be important because if we're not constantly demonizing the other side, we can say, OK, you you see things from this point of view, I see things from this point of view, but we're both humans. We are still uh, going to treat each other with respect and humanity. And hey, we can have dinner and be friends even if we disagree uh, politically, if we restore civility in politics, I think we'll see less of those dangerous situations as for Nancy Pelosi's legacy, you know, um, uh, you know, I don't want to get too much into, into that topic, uh, because I'm not, uh, a scholar on everything that she did under her time as speaker. Um, you know, but I think legacy is important to all po- politicians of all levels, um, how will we be remembered for our time in office? We've given a great deal uh, personally and professionally. Now, how will we be remembered? And that is of, of huge concern. I think, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi definitely has some feathers that she can put in her cap and some things that she'll hold on to as victories. Um, but, you know, what her legacy will look like exactly I think is something we have to leave uh, to the history books, because sometimes our memories are uh, are a little bit different of what happens um, in real life, in real time. I think back to President uh, George W. Bush and the way 9-11 was handled and the things that he did. Uh, you know, I hope that history books um, think of him in a more positive light than maybe the news portrayed him at that actual time, um, you know, because it it was a tense time in America. Um, But, you know, I think he eventually pulled us through things in a way that other people maybe uh, could not have. So the history books uh, hopefully will be more kind to him than the news of his day was. And so you have to look at that when you're talking about political legacies as well that uh, the way you're remembered is not always the way the media of the day is reporting on that individual
0: isn't that the truth absolutely and you know imagine i'm also curious to ask you about you know i don't have to tell you that all uh, politics starts at the state level it in, in pennsylvania and pennsylvania is certainly going to be a swing state for the next presidential election but I'm wondering if you can tell me how important people should view their state politics because all all major decisions start at the state level don't they
1: they do uh you know and our founding fathers put great pride into states rights over the federal government's authority and um, you know, I, I think that's a debate that continues to happen. How much should happen at the state level? How much should happen at the federal level? But there's the all old saying that goes, "All politics are local," because um, you know a, a decision can be made at the federal level or at the state level. Uh, but really, when it comes down to implementation, it's going to happen on your local level. So. Um, individuals, you know, I, I look at undervotes in presidential elections, and that's where someone goes into the booth, they vote, just top a ticket, they just vote for president, they don't go down ticket and vote for the rest, um, you know, as much as 20% of voters undervote, And so, you know, that's something that's concerning to me. If you're going into that booth, and you care about who the president of the United States is, you should care about who the mayor of your city is, Um, because like i said all politics are local implementation comes down to the level of government that is closest to you so those people are uh, of extreme important uh, importance as well
0: yeah absolutely and i have got a a two-part question for you in terms of my last uh political question for you And, uh, and that's What frustrates you the most about the state of politics today, and what are you most hopeful for, for the future of American politics?
1: Well, you know, I'm going to pick on the politicians a little bit, and I get to do that because I'm a politician myself. What frustrates me the most is the fact that um, so much of politics has become play-acting. Um, I talked about how often you're running for office. You really get no time off when you're not campaigning. So when you're doing your legislative work, uh, there are so many people that want to introduce a bill that has no chance of ever uh, succeeding or getting past the governor uh, in their signature, getting to the president's desk if you're at the federal level. Um, But you do that just for show. And so there's all this play acting that's happening where people are just pandering to their base, the people that elected them and saying, hey, look at me, I'm doing what you put me here for, but they're not doing the actual work of the people. And uh, you know that's what frustrates me the most. We wanna focus on things that have realistic possibilities of happening. And we have to come to consensus and cross party lines to make those things happen, especially when the numbers get closer in Congress or in your state house. Um, where you don't have a super majority to just run Ramshaw over the un- other party. Um, so I-, I guess that's the most frustrating part is the fact that when you pull back the curtain, you realize that some people are, uh, are just play acting for their base or for their constituency. And we see this a lot with talking heads on the news. Um, they're just saying things to get the results. They're not actually... Uh, doing the work of the people. And, you know, I, I don't mean to paint every politician with a broad, broad brush because there are people out there doing the good work, but there are a, a large number of people that, like I said, are just pandering to their base. And that's the most frustrating part of politics.
0: Yeah. And uh, I guess what, what gives you the most hope around
1: you know i i don't want to say that our situation is hopeless but i'm not seeing huge indicators that we're coming any closer together uh than we've been before uh, you know i think we need to reform uh elections we need to uh watch where money is coming from in elections um and we as voters need to stand up and say no it's time for a change we're going to do things differently um the number of incumbents that uh are re-elected that, that the sheer power of incumbency is uh is kind of frightening in the political sphere um so right now i'm not seeing a lot of indications that things are getting better but i think we're at a point to where we as the american citizens need to stand up and say no we want people that are going to debate civilly have conversations and uh, and actually get things done rather than come to a political stalemate that's right along party lines
0: yeah and i know uh that your career transition has turned you back to the business world so i'm wondering if you can talk just a little bit about your career transition from politics how that that's going for you and your current quality of life since you've left uh the political arena on the state level
1: well so i will tell you um you know as leadership elections were happening in in pennsylvania for the house and the senate uh, in november after the election uh, i felt a little down there is a a little bit of separation anxiety that you have once you've been living a political lifestyle and and now uh you are returning to to private life. Um so on one hand, you you miss that, on the other hand, uh you know, I get to spend more quality time uh, with my two kids. I have two sons, 9 and 10, and my beautiful wife. Um you know, I get to spend more time with them than I did before. Um, so it's been a bittersweet transition from the the public sector back into the private sector. Uh, I still am dipping my feet in the the toes of uh, of politics, uh, consulting on some campaigns and uh, and doing some other work where uh, I, I think I can stay connected to state government and to federal government in some ways. Um, but the transition, I, I guess, the best word to use has been uh, bittersweet because uh, there are things you miss, but on the same token, uh, there are things you gain, like uh, like more uh more time to spend quality time to spend with your family
0: well once a politician always a politician and i know once it's in your your blood it's hard to get it out of it isn't it but it also allows you to look at life from a different perspective doesn't it
1: it does and uh you know there's there's a difference uh going into the the uh the booth to vote uh, when you are not on that ballot and you don't have to worry about what the outcome of tonight's elections will be you still worry because you're worried about who's going to represent you um in the future but it's it's not the same as uh is actually being there and being on the ticket um so voting was a different experience this november not being on the ballot um but you're exactly right once that uh that lifestyle is there uh, and that concern for your community is there. I, I don't think that's something that that ever goes away. And uh, and so I've had people, because I kind of stepped away from politics abruptly, I've had a lot of people ask, you know, Matt, what's your future look like? Do you think you'll run for public office again? And uh, I'm, I'm cautious to say yes or no, um, because we don't know what the future will hold for us. We don't know where the opportunities will be or where we'll uh, feel the the need to be called uh, back into service. Um, You know, so I don't know if you'll ever see my name appear back on the ballot. uh, But one thing is for sure. I'm always going to be concerned about the health uh, of my community.
0: Yeah, just before I ask you my final question, you brought up something that uh, piqued my interest because, you know, as you said uh, throughout our conversation this morning, Matthew, uh, politics is all about service of your constituents and really serving the interests of the people. And in some respects, I think that's lost today in American politics. So do you think there'll ever be a point where we get back to the state of politics where service is sort of the, the main nucleus of why we run for office versus our own public interest there and wanting to hold on to power as politicians so do you think we'll get to back to a state where service is really at the heartbeat of why people run for public office
1: you know I certainly hope so and you know I look back to our forefathers when they put uh these political offices in place you know they were farmers they were uh people that operated printers presses excuse me, they were silversmiths, uh, etc. And they would take a brief period of time off of their work to go and to to serve their community as a representative in uh, this representative republic. Uh, You know, I hope we get back to a point to where it's all about service, because if it's not all about service, then it becomes about ego or it becomes about uh, personal interests and personal gain and uh, you know, we as a society don't benefit from the people that are just there for themselves. We benefit from the people that are actually concerned uh with their uh, their community and And that's why we refer to them as public servants because it is about service. Um, you know, I think we as American voters can take that into our hands and we can demand that of the people that are running for office to represent us. We want public servants. We don't want people who are concerned with self-interest. And uh, and so I'm hopeful that uh, in the future, there will be more and more people concerned with service uh, than personal interests that get into the political game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And my anyway, final question for you this morning it has to do with personal and professional likeness leg- as you look at your life and go both- forward personally and professionally and I you want your legacy
1: uh to be defined you know i'm, I'm someone who's extremely concerned uh with my legacy in my time in office there were some things that i was able to accomplish and i hope people remember me for those there were also things that i was able to hold off um changes that my constituents didn't want to see happen um, you know, I I come from a very conservative area that's made up of, of a lot of people that hunt for sport, a lot of people that are concerned with the Second Amendment. Um, you know, I was the chairman of the Second Amendment Caucus in the Pennsylvania House uh, for a term. And, uh, and I, I took very seriously the role of safeguarding people's constitutionally protected rights. Um, so I hope that that is that is part of my legacy. Um, you know, w- as politicians, we give a huge amount of ourselves, um, you know, so it doesn't come t- with any surprise that we're concerned with how uh, we'll be remembered and and hopefully uh, the history books uh, or the blogs will be kind to my time in office and we'll see that I tried to work uh, in a bipartisan manner to uh, accomplish or hold off things that uh, that my constituents didn't want during my time in office.
0: Yeah, and uh, just before I ask you how people can get a hold of you if they're interested, uh, I've one a final follow-up political question for, for you, and that that has to do with a bipartisanship, Matthew, as you mentioned. It's an important part of uh, serving. Uh, constituents, but do you think that's dying in today's sort of tutorial uh, political uh, climate where all politicians seem to be more broadly interested in going into their partisan corners. So do you think a bipartisanship is dying in American politics, and how do you think we get that back?
1: You know, I, I think... It's getting more difficult to get bipartisan results, but I think it's something that can be done. And uh, and I talked about close numbers in political bodies and the fact that uh, that you don't have votes to spare on your own side. So you have to um, cross the aisle to, to get the votes you need to accomplish something. So I hope that bipartisanship uh, is something we continue to see. There is a lot of bipartisan action that actually happens. um, So that's a positive to see. Um, But, you know, I I think, again, we just return to that civility, to that ability to debate and disagree and then go out and have dinner with each other and still be friends. Um, As we do that, I think we'll see more bipartisanship uh, in the future. Oh,
0: well, cheers to more political unity. Sure you would agree with that right one one way
1: absolutely the,
0: one way or the other we're still serving the same people right we're all people at the end of the day right
1: absolutely absolutely and if if you're a republican elected to office like i was you know i still have democrats that are my constituents so i still have to take their concerns into into mind as well we're serving all the people not just the people that voted for us
0: yeah absolutely and Finally, the tell me if people want to get connected with you, my friend. What's the best way they can do that?
1: Okay, so I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, just recently, TikTok, Snapchat. Uh, just search for Matthew D, as in David, Dowling, uh, D-O-W-L-I-N-G. You can also visit MatthewDDowling.com, and you can find links to all of my social, to uh, my show, Commonalities, etc., Um, Also, Commonalities has its own website, commonalities.online, a little bit of a a strange URL there, but it's www.commonalities.online. Join us for uh, more important conversations uh, on that episode, or on my uh, two weekly episodes of that podcast each week.
0: Well, fabulous, Matthew. I'm certainly grateful that you found time, and you're Busy schedule to have this important conversation about the state of American politics and how we get back to a more uh, political center. Your work in the space of politics and time on my behalf is most appreciated, and I want to thank you for being here this morning.
1: It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, uh, and and I'm glad that uh, that I got to interact with you and with your guests, with your listeners.